Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman continues his series, The Gospel of John. Today's message is titled, Three Voices from the Witness Stand. First, our scripture reading, followed by an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 5, verses 31 through 47. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works of that the Father has given me to finish the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Beth, for sharing today's scripture. Those of you who are in the building, uh, we appreciate your continued patience as we're working on getting our projectors up and running again. We had rented some last week because it was Easter and uh, we anticipated uh, a lot of people would be here for that, and, and we, uh, uh, we realized we wouldn't be able to do that every week until we could get our projectors up and running again. So we got these big screens up on either side, and um, we're going to be uh, taking bids if you want one of these screens in your living room afterwards. No, I'm kidding. We're going to make use of these big screens and other settings in our church building as we move along in our education and discipleship ministry, but we are surely grateful for uh, at least having these screens up on either side until we can get our projectors up and and running again. And it is a good opportunity for me to just uh, say a word of thanks to all the folks in the background, all our tech people, for making things work so well across this last year. Amen? That's right. So uh, we thank you so much for all the decisions you made and all the sacrifices you've made to make it possible for us to be able to worship not only on campus but online as well. Thank you for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to lift up your name in praise and now to study your word. We thank you for just the privilege of listening to it read to us a moment ago by Uh, the recording that Beth turned in, and now an opportunity to study it. 
what a comfort, what a conviction it is to look into your word and to see what it has to say to us today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in a trial, the prosecution and the defense will call witnesses. And if you're on a jury, it's your responsibility to determine uh, if that testimony leans you one way or the other in the decision you're trying to make. To make a decision about Christ, you need to consider three voices from the witness stand. Now, it's appropriate to use the language of a courtroom as we're studying John chapter 5, because really in John chapter 5, we have an early uh, sense that Jesus is on trial. Uh, John chapter 5 begins with Jesus uh, setting a paralyzed man free. Uh, and that's the first 15 verses of John chapter 5. And we, we looked at that two weeks ago. But then after those 15 verses, in verses 16 and 17, we read this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And for this very reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so the rest of the chapter, for 28 verses, Jesus lays out his defense. And you can break up his defense into two sections, verses uh, 19 through 30 and then verses 31 through 47. Verses 19 through 30 uh, is what we studied on Good Friday and Easter Sunday last weekend. And in these verses, Jesus does not say that they misunderstood him. He doubles down on his claim that he was equal with God. And then in the verses we're looking at today, the section that Beth read to us, Jesus, in effect, calls three witnesses to the witness stand to testify to the veracity of what he has to say. Now, in the Old Testament, it was the testimony of two witnesses that was required uh, in a trial, especially in a capital trial. Jesus does one better here. He doesn't call just two witnesses. He calls three witnesses to the witness stand. And the interesting thing is that these three voices from the witness stand are still available to us today. If you're trying to make up your mind about whether Christianity is true, you need to pay attention to these three voices from the witness stand. If you are a young adult raised in the church and you're trying to make a decision now as to whether this Christianity thing is still relevant to you, you need to pay attention to the three voices from the witness stand. Let's write these three as, as we come to them. Write them down in your sermon notes. You can get your sermon notes online or in the print bulletin that you received when you came in today. So write these down. First of all, consider the personal testimony of believers you trust. Consider the personal testimony of believers you trust. And verses uh, 33 through 35, Jesus said this, You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Jesus called John a burning and shining lamp that displayed the glorious light that was Jesus Christ. It's true in your own life too. Consider the personal testimony of those you know, those in your life whom you trust. You know, I once talked with a, a man about joining me in an event uh, that a church I once served was hosting and 
he shook his head firmly and trotted out that tired old nag. He said, no, all Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. And I said, oh, I guess you're talking about your mother then. And uh, I was speaking about a woman who was active at our church that I served at the time, his, his own mother, somebody who just seemed to get more and more gracious the older she got. And he said, of course, I'm not talking about her. I said, well, you must be talking about your boss then. I was referring to somebody else who was a member of our church who had hired this man on, modeled the Christian life for him, patiently endured some of his alcoholic instability. And the man said, well, of course, I'm not talking about him either. And I listed off a few other people. And finally, he came to realize that uh, he was being unfair in determining that all Christians uh, were hypocrites because there were some he knew that he respected and that he trusted. If you've been disappointed by a certain Christian or a certain church, then it is understandable that you could judge the entire movement of Christianity through that one narrow lens, but make sure you don't do that. It's helpful to balance the negative acts of certain Christians with the many positive ways that there are certain people in your life who are Christians have impacted you, and there are certain Christians in history who've positively impacted this world. You know, sadly, we could compile a long list of ways that Christians have disappointed people. And since I'm an insider to Christianity, I could come up with a longer list than you could, I imagine. Uh, but uh, we need to make sure that we're balancing out those disappointments with things that are positive in the lives of people we see. You know, I, uh, people are very quick these days to highlight how Christianity has been part of bloody crusades or intolerant inquisitions or pro-slavery positions or racist policies. And uh, Christians, have also, the Christians have also led the way in the abolition of slavery and the progress of civil rights and the end of apartheid and the beginning of the hospice movement and prison reform and many other efforts that have made the world a better place. There are hundreds of thousands of churches here and around the world that are filled with people who have sacrifice their time and their money to make the world a better place. If you turn away from any consideration of Christ because you think all Christians are hypocrites, you're not doing justice to the facts. Maybe you're close to somebody who's a follower of Jesus Christ and you see in them a new peace in the face of frustration or a new strength or a new sense of purpose and direction. Maybe you see a greater capacity for kindness. Maybe uh, Christ has led somebody to a victory over uh, alcoholism or some other addiction. Maybe uh, you've seen their ability to overcome marriage struggles and, and get a stronger marriage in the process. Now, of course, no human being is perfect, but when you see in somebody else's life that, that there are certain characteristics forming, there are certain things happening that you wish was happening in your own life, uh, then you need to consider that as a voice from the witness stand, evidence worth considering. In today's passage, Jesus reminded the religious leaders of the testimony of John the Baptist in the same way personal testimony is available uh, in your own life as well as you pay attention to the lives of those that you trust. Now, on your sermon notes, you'll see that I've got some additional resources that I recommend you take a look at because it is true that in this day and age, if you're considering Christianity, you're considering it at a time when things are becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity. And so there, are, there is within the Western culture today this, this narrative that says that Christianity is not a solution to the world's problems, it is the originator of the world's problems. 
And as you listen to that narrative more and more in the various places it comes from, it gets very hard for you to actually seriously pay attention to that handful of Christians you know who've made a difference in your life or made a difference in this world. And so I suggest these resources on your sermon notes that will help you understand uh, sometimes from people who are not even Christians. As they look at the historical record, they realize that Christianity has been very good for the world. And I encourage you to take a look at some of those resources. Here's a second voice from the witness stand. I want you to write this down. Consider the empirical testimony of Christ's life and actions. So the word empirical means that which is verified by observation. And that's the kind of evidence that Jesus talks about in uh, verse 36. So he speaks of John's testimony. And then after that, he says, I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the father has given me to finish the very works that I am doing they testify that the father has sent me you remember uh, in John chapter 3 when we studied this maybe a month or so ago um, the influential Jewish professor Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and here's what he said in John chapter 3 verse 2 rabbi we know that you're a teacher who's come from God why did he say that because he looked at the empirical evidence he goes on to say for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him the apostle John wrote this gospel that we're studying through so that you could have that same evidence to take a look at as well I mentioned to you before that of all the miracles that Jesus did, of all the healings, of all the marvelous things that he did, John particularly selects seven of these miracles. He calls them seven signs, uh, and and he builds the Gospel of John around that. And the, the seventh, the most marvelous, is the work that Jesus did in the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I would say that the veracity of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection is the very thing you need to investigate if you're considering the claims of Christ. People want to have all kinds of conversations about hot topics these days. What does your church teach about other religions? What does your church teach about same-sex marriage? What does your church teach about abortion? What does your church teach about the opening chapters of the book of Genesis and so on? People want to have all kinds of conversations about hot topics, and these are important things to cover. We sometimes cover those things in our church as well, but the most important issue to, to, to investigate if you're considering Christianity is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he did not, then what does it matter what Christians teach about anything else? But if he did rise from the dead, then we better pay attention to what he has to say about sex, about money, about politics, and about any other subject that he talked about. So consider the empirical testimony of Christ's life and actions, especially uh, the work of the resurrection. Now, just as I did with the first point, I have on your sermon notes some additional resources that you can take a look at to deal especially with the reality of the resurrection. So you've written down two things so far on your notes. We need to listen to these voices from the witness stand. And we've looked at the personal testimony and the empirical testimony that is available to us, write this third point down. Consider the scriptural testimony of God's preserved word. In today's text, Jesus said, John the Baptist testified concerning me. And then he said, my works testify that I'm telling the truth. And then in verse 37, he said, and the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. Now, where do we find this testimony from the father? 
Well, immediately after Jesus talks about the testimony from the Father, he starts talking about Scripture. And so the testimony of the Father, according to Jesus, is found in Scripture. Here's what he says, verse 39. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Now, this passage is quoted from time to time, or this verse is quoted from time to time for more liberal Christians, and they'll say, you know, that's the problem with you fundamentalists, as they would call us. Those of you who insist on the inerrancy of the Bible, the full authority of the Bible, that's the problem. You've made the, the Bible an idol. Uh, we don't need that ourselves. Uh, we have Jesus, and, and, and you're letting the Bible interfere with your understanding of Jesus. That's what they would say. If you say we enlightened ones see that Scripture has its uses like any other human uh, book would have, but it has its flaws as well. We can't call it the Word of God. And if you believe you're rescuing Jesus from the fundamentalists by saying that, then be careful. You know, don't you see that Jesus in this passage isn't complaining about his enemies' love of Scripture? He is complaining about their misuse of Scripture. He calls Scripture the testimony of his Father. You can't get a, very, you can't get a much higher view of Scripture than that, can you? Uh, and, and so uh, notice in today's passage that Jesus spoke of the Old Testament as the words of Moses and the words of his Father at the same time. Did you see that? And we don't have enough time today to get into you know, a complicated understanding of how something can be entirely the work of some human personality and human creativity and at the same time the Word of God but I will tell you that what Jesus says here in John chapter 5 is consistent with everything else Jesus says about Scripture in the rest of the Gospels. In uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 36, for example, he said, the Old Testament writers spoke, quote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what that means is we have David, King David, writing in the Psalms, complaining uh, or praising or thanking or asking and yet at the same time, it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Or we have the prophet Jeremiah. And using his own personality, using that which is unique to his being and personality, brings to us the book of Jeremiah. And yet it's, according to Jesus, all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That means everything that we read in the Bible is exactly the way God wanted it to be. And then, that was, and then there was the way that Jesus so often introduced quotes of scripture to us. You notice this? Early on in my ministry, I, I discovered that over and over again, Jesus used the same word or the same phrase as he got ready to introduce scripture. Uh, in the Greek, the language of the, the original language of the New Testament is gegraptai, which means it stands written or it has been written. Gegraptai is a word that speaks of the abiding authority, the abiding relevance of that which has been written. In fact, I was so struck by that word early in my ministry, I, I, I found a piece of wood and I got a wood-burning tool and I, I, I wrote that word in Greek uh, uh, on, on, a, on a plaque and I, I put it in my office. Some of you have been in my office, you've seen that. I, very early on in my ministry, I wanted to look up from time to time in my study and see on the shelf this, this word that speaks of how comforting and how convicting it is to have God's word in written form for us. This is the way that Jesus looked upon his word. And so the scriptures are a voice from the witness stand. And in verse 39, he says, the scriptures testify, testify about me. 
You see what he's saying? He's saying that everything in the Old Testament was pointing toward him. And everything that we have in the New Testament that was written after him, it points back to him. But everything in the Bible is testifying about him, the central uh, reason for it all. And so in that sense, the scriptures serve as a voice in the witness box testifying about Jesus. Why would anyone think that he knew enough about the Christian faith to draw a conclusion about it if he's never read the source documents of Christianity, the Bible? Not only that, those of you who are young adults and you were raised in the church and now you're kind of evaluating whether this Christianity thing, you're gonna, whether you're going to stick with it or not, don't you understand it's important to read the Bible as a child and it's important to read the Bible as an adolescent, but it's important now that you're an adult to read the Bible as an adult too. I don't know, I, I've read numerous so-called deconversion stories by those in their 20s and early 30s. And I have to admit, I, I, I try not to be judgmental, but I have to admit some of it just sounds so arrogant and so self-centered. Somebody's evaluating everything they think they know about Christianity based upon what they were taught as a seven-year-old in vacation Bible school, or they were taught as a seventh grader at youth camp. Now, thank God for vacation Bible school and thank God for youth camp, but don't you understand that there was somebody in your life that brought Christianity down to a level you could understand as a seven-year-old or brought Christianity down to a level that you could understand as a seventh grader. But that doesn't mean the person who was teaching you that had a seven-year-old's understanding of Christianity or had a seventh grader's understanding of Christianity. That person had a very grown-up understanding of Christianity. They had been sustained by their faith through all kinds of things such as unemployment and miscarriage and marriage troubles and so on. They didn't share that with you as a seven-year-old. They didn't share that with you as a seventh grader because you didn't need to hear that at the time. But the people who were walking into that Sunday school class at the time, the people who were walking into that youth camp at the time had some very grown-up problems that their faith helped them deal with. If you're trying to decide as somebody in his 20s, somebody in his 30s, whether Christianity is for you. You need to study the Bible as an adult now. You need to get together with other adults who are having very grown-up joys and sorrows and seeing how they understand the Bible now in this time. Don't you see? Yeah, you're, you're deconverting from a seven-year-old's understanding of Christianity. You're deconverting from a seventh-grader's understanding of Christianity but you haven't even explored an adult's understanding of Christianity until you as an adult get into a Bible study group, until you as an adult open up the Bible as an adult and see what it has to say to you. So we need to make sure that we're, we're, we're studying the Bible at the age that we're at with the problems that we have right now and drawing some conclusions about Christianity based upon that. Now, once again, for further study on this point, I have, I have some recommended resources for you on your sermon notes. And these things will help you understand the reliability of the Bible and why we can call the Bible the authoritative Word of God. And one of the resources that I have for you is a chapter out of my book called The Anchor Course. The Anchor Course is a book I wrote 16, 17 years ago now, and I'm, I'm taking people through a study of that on Wednesday nights. We started it just last Wednesday, and so it's not too late for you to be a part of it if you want to. Uh, but whether you're a part of that or not, if you just want one chapter out of the book, I have a chapter about five reasons why we can trust the Bible as a reliable guide to the words and actions of Jesus. 
And so if you're online, if you're looking at our online bulletin, there's the online connection card, and there's a box you can check that says, send me that free chapter. If you've got the, the print version of the connection card uh, here in the uh, uh, on-campus worship center, you can just write free chapter on the uh, connection card. Make sure you fill out some information about yourself and turn it in, and I will be glad to send it to you. So in today's passage, Jesus says that to make a decision about him, you need to consider three voices from the witness stand, the personal, the empirical, and the scriptural. And if you say, I don't find the Christian faith compelling, I don't hear God speaking to me in Christianity, my question would be, have you gone to where you can hear God speak? Have you? Anybody in your life who's a burning and shining light, as John the Baptist was in that first century world? Have you studied the evidence for Jesus' remarkable actions, especially the claims of his resurrection? And have you studied the scriptures? If you haven't, no wonder you're not hearing God speak. You're not going to where you can hear him speak. But if we will listen to these voices from the witness stand, maybe we'll be able to make a good judgment about what Jesus claimed to be. Now, a word of warning before we close. Some of you might say to those of us who are believers, well, I'm glad you found something to get you through, but I don't need that. I'm free. I'm independent. Jesus says, oh, really? Look at this passage again. Verse 43. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. Now, in the historical context, what was Jesus saying? In the historical context, there were all kinds of claimants to what the Messiah meant. In fact, the very people, some of the very people who were hearing Jesus say this, as recorded in John chapter 5, would, in just within 10, within 20 years, they would be following some other person who claimed to be the Messiah, who better aligned with their politics, who better aligned with their view of the world, and it would get them in all kinds of trouble. We have our own messiahs today, telling us how our lives can be meaningful, telling us how we can gain control over the chaos. And really, the issue you're facing isn't whether you submit to Jesus as Savior and Lord or remain free and independent on your, uh, by yourself. The issue is, which Savior and Lord are you going to follow? Because if you're not following Jesus, that doesn't mean you're not following anyone. You may not be conscious or aware of the voices you're following, the influences that you have over your life, but you do. You listen to the three witnesses, the personal, the empirical, and the scriptural. You listen to these voices, and you'll find yourself ready to commit to the only authority figure worthy of your trust. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman continues through the Gospel of John with a message titled, Putting Our Resources in His Hands. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.